0: Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brannenberg. Ketamine, part three. In part two, we talked about the clinical uses of ketamine. We talked about all the good things it can do. All the wonderful treatments and therapies and mental health and pain and sedation and anesthesia. On this part, part three, we're going to talk about the dark side of ketamine. Powerful light, powerful darkness. A lot of people have heard of the K-hole. Maybe people have said things like they were caught in the K-hole or they're in the ketamine haze. Basically, what this is is a dissociative state where an individual can't necessarily interact with the outside world but they have some cognition. And with that, is a feeling of dissociation, out-of-bodiness. And it's generally a dysphoric feeling. The K-hole is not regarded as a good thing. And so it's something to be aware of, both clinically, if you use too much of, say, a low-dose ketamine, but also in the recreational setting, because you'll hear that. The next big thing to be aware of with ketamine is the emergence reaction and the emergence reaction occurs when somebody has had a high dose associative amount of ketamine and they start to wake up and then they basically kind of freak out this can be very very severe particularly with fencycline and that's part of the reason it was discontinued but it also occurs in ketamine and i think it's one of the big reasons why people fear ketamine but in some studies it's been reported to be as high as 50% in adults and in 10% in children so it's certainly something that happens and uh, things like being older uh, having frequent vivid dreams uh, having underlying psychosis and even being in denial of medical issues can make someone more likely to have and emergence reaction. and This this reaction is generally characterized by confusion, hallucinations, and kind of dysphoria. People can really get agitated and excited. And a great way to kind of calm that down is just by using benzodiazepines. Something like lorazepam would be a great medicine to give to someone having an emergent reaction. It'll really calm them down and can really help out. So, so use that medication. It'll help you. Um, on the flip side, it's, it's kind of recommended not to use antipsychotics. So things like first-generation, haloperidol, second-generation, olanzapine, uh, basically because of the uh, potential risk for dystonia, uh, dystonic reactions, because I think these... Um, these medications, uh, like ketamine, can cause some dystonia or muscle tension, and, and so can antipsychotics. So, for that reason, benzos are kind of the go-to in that scenario. But those are kind of the two biggest things that that tend to come up um, from a from a mental hallucinogenic standpoint. The next thing to really be aware of is a cystitis people can get a lot of bladder and urinary tract irritation with frequent use of of ketamine and in Southeast Asia particularly Hong Kong where ketamine abuse is is fairly common at this time the incidence has been as high as 20 percent in some studies and basically what happens is people get these uh, lower urinary tract irritation syndromes you know dysuria um, suprapubic pain, um, and it can even progress to, to, to real um, kind of visual symptoms, things like hematuria. And when people actually go up and look on cystoscopy, they actually see what looks like a ulcerative cystitis. And on top of that, you can even get higher uh, urethral, or, or sorry, ur- urinal damage as well and so kind of a big issue and it's even been more recently reported in people using ketamine in the medical setting for chronic pain remember that for chronic pain we use longer doses of ketamine and they also often require more than in the mental health setting and so they're they're at greater risk And in those urinary tract symptoms are something to be aware of the the thing to do if those start to occur is really just stopping the ketamine use if it's progressed to a certain stage, you, you may need to involve um, a urologist because it, it can actually do things like narrow ureters, requiring uh, things like ureteral stents. So be aware of those three things. I would say those are the three biggest things which seem to come up. The, the K-hole, the emergence reaction, and the bladder uh, and urinary tract issues. In addition, very frequent ketamine use can also lead to memory impairment so someone who's using ketamine say on a daily basis is going to see cognitive impairment as a result of that another big issue with frequent ketamine use is depression while it's actually very helpful intermittently in the treatment of severe depression using it chronically can actually lead to a fairly severe depression and that's kind of common in the drug world in that using something intermittently can oftentimes help with a symptom, but using it frequently or every day can then sometimes cause that symptom. Another good example of this phenomenon is with marijuana or cannabis. People who use it intermittently can sometimes get some anti-nausea effects from it, but people who use it chronically and daily can develop this marijuana hyperemesis syndrome, so it can actually cause nausea. There's a number of other pharmacological examples of that, but but the frequent use of ketamine will actually lead to depression. The frequent use can also cause some degree of tolerance. Regular uh, illicit users of ketamine do report things like the need for increasing doses to get the same effect uh... they were getting initially on top of this people can have kind of a mild withdrawal symptom uh... things like anxiety sweating palpitations can occur with uh... with withdrawal after frequent ketamine use and so there may be some degree of chemical dependence going on. In general, it's fairly mild. I think about ketamine more as a uh, something that can be habitualized because it makes us feel better and we like to feel good. And so anything that's kind of like that can lead to habitual use and, and eventually cause addiction. Pew! All right, let's get into some of the clinical things that you will see in, in people that are using ketamine. And we've already talked about a lot of these, but I want to kind of dive into each one just to give you a a really good idea of some of the effects and side effects of of ketamine. And the first is regarding vital signs. Remember that ketamine causes inhibition of the reuptake of norepinephrine and dopamine. These are catecholamines. They are sympathometics. Basically, they they will um, cause the sympathetic nervous system to fire, and that's going to generally cause things like tachycardia and high blood pressure. Now ketamine also has some inhibition of the monoamine oxidase inhibitor, and and monoamine oxidase inhibitors are, are responsible for breaking down some of those catecholamines. And so that's another mechanism by which it kind of increases that sympathetic tone. By that same token, I think it's safe to assume that ketamine can be a potential um, contributor to a serotonin syndrome. So I think if you're stacking ketamine with, say, SSRIs and then uh, linazolid and some other things, you got to be careful because you probably could predispose someone to a serotonin syndrome in that setting. Interestingly, ketamine, because of its inhibition of NMDA, kind of shuts down. Um, the not the sympathetic system, but kind of shuts down the um, the brain in such a way that that effect actually could cause some bradycardia and some hypotension, and so. For instance, in people that are in the ICU, in catecholamine depleted, you can actually get things like hypotension or, or bradycardia with use of ketamine. So, kind of funny in that sense, in that things can be a little unpredictable because it's working so many different places, and sometimes it can be working in uh, in ways that antagonize other ways. And so, so stuff to think about can do weird things to vital signs. But in general, general, what you'll see is mild increases in blood pressure in heart rate one of the other areas where you'll see ketamine have some kinda different funny effects is via cholinergic and anticholinergic effects it can do a number of different things it can dilate the pupils um, constrict the per- pupils it can cause a number of other of the you know uh, cholinergic and anticholinergic toxidromes. Uh, but one thing that it typically does, which is kind of cholinergic, is it causes salivary and tracheobronchial secretions to increase. And these are really effectively treated in the anesthesia setting with, with anticholinergic medications like atropine and glycopyrrolate. So, so look for and, and expect some increased secretions. There is a risk of laryngospasm, with ketamine, it's actually fairly rare, uh, even compared to other anesthetics, but it's something that can occur and that uh, you would want to be ready for. If In animal models, ketamine has sometimes been shown to cause cardiac dysrhythmias. In humans, this really isn't something we see very commonly at all but something to think about something you'll hear about we mentioned in last episode too that uh, ketamine is a, a dilator of bronchial smooth muscle tissue so it actually can help open up the lungs and that may be a, a useful clinical effect for somebody with asthma or other um, lung disease that that similarly is constricting those smooth muscles the biggest effect though is related to the brain Ketamine does amazingly fascinating things to the brain. And we've talked a lot about, a, a lot about those different things, but I want to kind of go into it a little bit more here. The out-of-body experience caused by ketamine due to the dissociation can be fairly profound. And basically what's happening is you're getting diminishing of the senses, pain, touch, proprioception, hearing, taste, vision. And that is kind of uh, freeing your mind, in a sense, from the rest of your body and causing these these just unusual experiences. Hallucinations are also very common, particularly auditory hallucinations. And, and kind of in this whole world of dissociation and weirdness, people can feel like they're tripping or flying. They have these... Uh, they feel like they're having these near birth or near death experiences. So, really unusual feelings and, and bizarre sensations that uh, some people are very alarmed by, and of course, some people really, really enjoy. You can see some kind of neurological signs of, of ketamine in the form of like nystagmus, nystagmus which, which are these psychotic movements of the eyes, both in the horizontal and vertical directions for, for ketamine. Those um, nystagmic nice movements are actually much more common with PCP use, but they can be seen with, with regular ketamine use as well. People oftentimes have um, altered walking and gait. Um, like I said, their proprioception can be kind of thrown off. That's kind of the, the center that controls their balance. And so moving around and walking can be tough. I think an interesting thing with ketamine's evil twin, PCP, is is that there's kind of a, a really common recurring delusion of superhuman strength and invulnerability. So you see people trying to do just crazy things, sometimes jumping from high heights, trying to rip a tree stump out of the ground, you know, pick up a car. Violent behavior. I think some of those. Um, kind of hallmark type symptoms of PCP are probably overstated we don't really see those um, hardly at all if ever with ketamine but you do see them with PCP and and I know people have heard stories about that stuff so it's kind of interesting so I thought I'd bring it up on top of that ketamine can also cause some uh, nausea and so vomiting can occur so, so be aware of that but generally just a lot of different kind of bizarre or weird things going on with a ketamine user. I think this is the biggest reason why people are afraid of ketamine, why they shy away from it, and I think it, it's a definitely something to be aware of and to be a little bit wary about, but I don't think it should stop you from using the medication. Okay, let's talk about ketamine and kind of the tox the tox world and tox setting, and just, just go into that briefly. So let's say somebody comes into the emergency department and you, you know that they've ingested a large amount of ketamine. Well, one thing that you can do if it's been a recent ingestion is administer activated charcoal uh, that is recommended in multiple sources that I've read, and so that's something to think about early on in a large ketamine ingestion There's not actually any um, formal diagnostics in the United States at this point at least I've heard about some like urinary tests in Southeast Asia that can pick up ketamine, uh, but I don't think we have those here quite yet. If needed, there are reference laboratories that can pick it up using things like gas chromatography and mass spectrometry, but definitely not part of um, clinical use. There is there is some reports of ketamine kind of cross-reacting with the PCP amino assays on standard urine drug screens, but uh, I'm not sure uh, how much validity there is to that or not. In general, if somebody is... Uh, freaking out from ketamine, like we said, benzodiazepines are going to be your go-to medications to calm them down. Lorazepam or any of the other um, medications will will do in that setting. If people do have uh, very marked vital sign abnormalities, let's say their blood pressure is really high or they're really tachycardic, you might want to consider using an alpha blocking agent something like clonidine or even um, in the hospital setting dexmedetomidine might be good drugs to kinda of calm down those sympathomimetic effects. Oh man, that was ketamine. Uh like I said, I I love this topic. A lot of interesting stuff. A really fascinating drug. One of those drugs that you give to somebody and it just it does stuff right away. You're not you're not going to miss it. Um Ketamine is going to make itself known, and if you use it, you're going to want to know about it. You're going to want to know about all the weird stuff. And if you listen to all three of these podcasts, I think you'll be in a really good place to use the medication. You'll know what side effects to expect, both in the acute and chronic setting, and you'll be well-versed in all the different therapeutic uses. So thank you for tuning in for this entire three-part series on ketamine, and I hope to see you again in the future. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, di- disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.